So we were just talking earlier about how topical today's uh, subject is going to be, given the overnight news about uh, more redundancies in the Telegraph and also restructuring in Vice News, after restructuring in Mashable, everyone is finding it very tough. So the question of uh, how you save the media and the economics of news uh, couldn't be more topical. And I'm delighted uh, that today we've got uh, Julia Caget from Sciences Po in Paris. Uh, she's uh, an assistant professor of economics uh, and very much looking forward to hearing what you say. So, Julia. Thanks a lot for, for the introduction. Thanks a lot to Rasmus for the invitation. I am very glad to, to be here uh, to present my, my book. So, it was originally published uh, one year ago, a little bit more than one year, in fact, uh, in France, and it has been released a couple of weeks ago in the US and in the UK, and I'm very glad to have my uh, publisher, uh, Ian Malcolm, today in the, in the, in the room. So I, I think like the departure point of the, of, the, of the book and in fact of the entire research pro project was this conviction that the news media, in a sense like university, they tends to provide the public good, and that information is a public good, because we know, like from existing research and from the literature, that information is essential ingredient of political participation in in, uh, in democracies. Uh, the media they are suffering a, a very strong crisis as of today. I'm going to, to show you like uh, some numbers on top of the one you already know. And what I am trying to offer uh, in this book, on top of a state, you know, of the uh, of the media industry, is really a, a new solution, a new type of entity that I call the NMO, the non-profit media organization, that is intermediating status uh, between foundations and uh, and shareholder shareholder companies. So the, the, this is a roadmap of, of the talk. Uh, please just feel free to, to jump in uh, at any point. Uh, if you have uh, if you have any question, I will be very happy to, to take them during the, the talk. So what I'm going to do today in like the 13 minutes that I have is to first of all try to give you some I think important numbers to understand the state of the media. Then we will turn to what some people see as a solution to the media crisis, which are these kind of new press barons. Those people that are putting money today in the media industry. Let's think about Jeff Bezos, for example, buying the Washington Post in the in the US. Uh, and then I'm going to introduce my solution, beginning by the fact that, in fact, we are used to <coughs> government intervention in the media. Uh, and I think that the, the, the reform that was just, just announced of the BBC is very interesting from this point of view. And then uh, to, to, to the NMO I, I propose in, uh, in, the, in the book. So first of all, I, I want to show you some numbers that I think are key to understand what is happening today to the media industry. If you look at the total advertising spending, in a given country. So when I say total advertising spending, you really have to think about it as the size of the cake. Okay, This is not just advertising spending for the media, but this is advertising sp spending on all kinds of different support. So newspapers, TV, radio, uh, outdoor advertising, advertising in theater, etc., etc. How much an economy spent as a share of its GDP on advertising? And what you see is whether you consider the US, Germany, France, the picture is exactly the same one for the UK. What you see is that, in fact, we observe a long-term decline in advertising spending, the share of the cake, uh, as a share of GDP. Because both in France, in the US, in the UK, in fact, the maximum amounts they were reached in the 80s. Okay? 
And then we're going to focus on newspapers. But first of all, you know, we see this long-term decline in developed countries in total advertising spending. You can ask why, because obviously if you look around you, you see advertising everywhere, you know. At least in terms of quantity, we don't have this feeling that people are spending less money on advertising, okay? We see more advertising than before, in a sense. But this is mainly due to the fact that the space devoted to advertising has increased. In fact, the supply of advertising spaces, it increased very strongly during the last decade. First with TV, first with radio in a sense, then with TV and now with the internet. So what we see is a decrease in the price of advertising. Okay. So media, they devote more space to advertising, but they can charge less for it. And at the end of the day, the total uh, amount spent on advertising decrease. So we see this decrease in the size of the cake. Obviously, you can ask, what is the share devoted to newspapers? And this is newspapers advertising revenues in the US as a share of GDP. And I do like a lot this figure, because if you do a little bit of history, you see that, in fact, this is not just due to the internet. This is a long-term decrease. And the decrease of US advertising newspapers revenues, it began in 1956, which means 60 years ago. Okay? And in fact, this is where you see why competition is important. When it begins in the US, it's following the introduction of advertising on TV. Okay? And this led to a decrease in the price of advertising for newspapers. It does not mean that nothing happened with the internet. In the sun, it speed up a little bit with the internet. You know, it was equal to 0.4% of GDP in 2000. Now it's below 0.2. So it was divided by two uh, since the introduction of the internet. But this is new, not a new phenomenon. <coughs> and I think this is very important to keep this picture in mind. And the, the example you, 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 you gave us as an introduction in terms of Vice News, and Mashable is a good illustration. Because this kind of new media outlets, they tend that they will going to renew the advertising uh, model, saying, for example, we're going to do native advertising, and it will work as a long-term solution. But in fact, it's a short-term solution. The same way that advertising on the internet at the very beginning was a good solution, because the first media that decided to put some ad on the internet, they were able to make a profit out of it. But once everybody began to do it, the price declined, and it was not sustainable. And we will find the same thing with native advertising. And I think there is no way to reverse such a strong trend, which has a huge consequence for newspapers, and I'm going to turn to it in a couple of slides, which is the fact that you need to monetize audience in a different way. Uh, if you just look at this picture by a kind of different media support, you know, in uh, black you have movie theater, outdoor, uh, in pink, magazine, radio, newspaper in yellow, and TV in, uh, in red. So this is the total advertising spending if you don't uh, normalize by GDP. And what you say is that even without normalizing by GDP, the amount spent on advertising for newspapers and for radio, for this kind of traditional media, it declined. Okay? Just how much you spent uh, on, on advertising. So this was a huge uh, shock, obviously. Uh, for, for newspapers. You don't see it very well here because of the scale, but the only industry doing pretty well as of today in terms of advertising are movie theaters. 
For a very simple reason, you have to watch the ad. They find a way to have a captive audience. And the other media, as of today, are not able to have this captive audience. So you have still a lot of value for advertising in movie theaters. Obviously, there is something missing from this picture, which is the internet. And this is kind of striking for the internet because obviously advertising revenues for internet grow, but it is not so far to reach in the US the advertising revenues of TV. And in France, advertising revenues are uh, already higher for the internet than for TV. And it will happen for TV in the US, you know, uh, in, a, in, a couple of, uh, in a couple of years. So then, you know, there is kind of a puzzle because if there is so many advertising revenues online, why don't we see any benefit out of it for newspapers trying to advertise online? And what is really striking is that there is an online advertising market, but all the revenues from this market are for a very small number of players, like four players, like Google, Amazon, Amazon, uh, Twitters, these kind of big players that are able, the four of them, to capture more than half of the advertising market. And what, one number that always struck me a lot is that the total revenues of Google are twice the revenues of the entire American newspaper industry. Where they don't produce anything, you know, they just make money out of the content produced uh, by, uh, by, by, uh, by newspapers. Uh, this is an obvious consequence of the decrease in advertising revenues. If you look at the total revenues of the newspapers, you know, you see this big decline. The scale is again in terms of uh, as a share of GDP. Uh, so this is zero, this is one, uh, 0.2, it has been divided by five, the total uh, US uh, newspapers revenues since the 50s. And this obviously has huge consequence in terms of the information these newspapers are able to provide uh, to their citizens. I want to make a, a side point here linked to this decrease in advertising revenues. We need to find a way to monetize the audience. Okay? And if it is not through advertising, it has to be through a paywall. I don't think that native advertising will be the long-term solution. I think that the price of native advertising are going to decrease, like this, the price of other kind of advertising. And from this point of view, I think that the new strategy of the Times, the one to, to say it quickly, look like a print newspaper online with just three updates a day, is a good solution. Okay? Because people are not going to pay to get a subscription online, to get access to the kind of news they can find for free on other website. They want to pay for something specific, and so you don't need to update, you know, every second in order to have, like, more community coverage. And this was announced by the Times at the beginning of the years, and the announcement made by the New York Times this week, in fact, they go in the same direction. And they just decided to devote less money and less energy to make community coverage, but more to do only in the New York Times kind of coverage online. Because, again, if you want to introduce a paywall, you need to give people good reasons to pay uh, for this paywall. And the reverse, and I think I really want to make this point strongly, because as you will see, I, I'm going to make a strong argument in favor of having a non-profit model for the media. 
And a lot of people, they tend to tell me, yes, but look at The Guardian, this is a foundation, and they are losing a lot of money. I don't think that The Guardian is losing a lot of money because it is a foundation, but I think they are losing a lot of money because they put all their content online. They are not able to raise any advertising money out of it, and they are losing people buying or subscribing to the newspapers because they can't find the same content for free on the website of The Guardian. So I think we really have to think about the optimal business model of uh, media uh, on, their, on their website. So what consequences of uh, the decrease in revenue? The most obvious one is the decrease in the, in the number of, uh, of journalists. So I think I don't have to convince this audience that to produce information and to produce high quality uh, information, you need journalists. Uh, if you look at the evolution of the number of journalists, so this is trends uh, beginning at the, in the 80s until today, okay? So this varies from uh, zero to uh, 40,000. What you see that obviously, if you look at the long-term pictures, like two centuries long pictures, what you see is an increase in the number of journalists. Okay. But we see that this number began to decrease in 2010, and since 2010, we have an annual decrease in the number of journalists in France. And more or less, a country like France is losing 1,000 journalists a year, which is huge. Uh, you find the same picture if you, if you normalize by the working population. So what is kind of striking is that if you take this picture and you wonder about what is going to be the long-term trend, this is what you find. And I think this is what is going to happen if nothing is done to find a solution to this uh, media crisis. Like an ever stronger decrease in the number of journalists. So you can tell me this is a pessimistic view of the world, but in fact, if you look at the US, you would see that this is a pretty optimistic view <laughs> of the world. Because this is the number of daily newspaper journalists in the United States and what you see here is that uh, from 2007 to 2015, it decreased by more than 20,000. So it varies from one country to, to the other. In France, this is pretty simple uh, because France do like centralization and administration. So if you want to be a journalist in France, you need to apply for a press card. So we have the set of all the press cards, and which is very good in terms of data collection, because more or less for all the French uh, media outlets in the 1930s, uh, I know all the journalists, I know their wage, I even know where they do live, you know? So you have all the information on this population. Uh, and they have their cell phone too. Uh, <laughs> if you look at the US, these are the number given by the Association of uh, Daily Newspapers in the US. So basically what you do have here is that you will have the journalists working for the websites of the Washington Post, for example, uh, but you won't have the journalists working for Vice News. Uh, if we take these guys into account for uh, the US, it will reverse the trend a little bit. In fact, what we know is that since 2010, there have been more or less 5,000 job creations. Uh, for these uh, pure internet players in the US. So not enough to reverse this huge declining trend, but giving, giving us a little bit of optimism, even if, as you said, uh, even like Vice News or Mashables are cutting uh, into the size of their uh, news operation in particular. 
still investing money in videos, but much less in, uh, in news gathering. If you're a blogger, you won't appear in this kind of, uh, in this kind of numbers. Which is a huge question whether or not we want to consider you uh, as a journalist. Uh, and this, I think this is part of the, of the debate. Because some people are going to say this is not a big issue that we see this big decline in the number of journalists because they have, there is other way to produce information today. And you have citizen journalism, you have people creating their blogs, you also have a lot of people like working in academia that are able to publish information. While some other people, including me, are going to tell you this is part of the problem. This is because you have so many people creating news for free that media organizations have no longer incentives to invest into news creation through professional journalists. And this is what explains this declining trend in the size of the newsroom. But this is very hard, in fact, to, to have uh, good numbers uh, on uh, the number of bloggers. And the picture in the US is even worse if you compute that as a share of the working population. Just added this green line. And you have to, to look at this uh, y-axis because as a share of the working population, you find a decline uh, in the number of journalists beginning in 1986. Okay, so this is a much longer uh, declining trend. Like uh, I could have added some numbers if you were to look at the number of PR mm. people doing public relationships, you will find the exact uh, reverse trend. Yeah. And I, I just want to put two numbers on, on the same figure because I, I, I like the correlation between the two trends. You know that if you take this number of journalists and you add the, 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 the figures I showed you before on newspapers advertising revenues, you know you see an exact correlation between the two plots, which is not so obvious because you can tell me uh, if media that are making less money are going to invest less. But in fact, in the 80s and in the 90s, media outlets in the US were still making profit. Okay? And in fact, a number of them, at the beginning of the 2000s, before 2008, they were still making profit. So it was not the only solution to react one-to-one -to, -one to the decrease in advertising uh, revenue. And I think the reason why they choose to react one-to-one -one in this decrease in advertising revenues, and I'm going to come back to it uh, later on, is because the majority of the media outlets in the US, not only in the US, they are publicly traded companies. So what they want to maximize is their profits, not the quality of the information they produce in their, uh, in their newspapers. Uh, last point on these numbers is that you, you can tell me whether it comes from a decrease in the number of media outlets or a decrease in the number of journalists by media outlets. In fact, obviously there are being a number of uh, media outlets disappearing in the US, but we also find a decrease in the size uh, of the newsroom. The average number of uh, journalists in newspapers in the US in 2001 was 39. It has been divided by one third. In 2013 it was 27. Uh, if you look at France, this is the average over all the daily newspapers, local uh, plus uh, national. You see that the decline is not by one third, but the long term uh, since 1960s was an increase. And then you see beginning at the end of the 2000s like a decrease in the average number of journalists per newspapers. This is the average. Obviously this is worse in, in a number of cases. 
So this is Lazas, uh, one famous local daily newspapers in France. You see this kind of pattern, you know. We are back now to the number of journalists they had uh, at the beginning of the uh, 1980s. Uh, this is another example that is even worse. This is L'Express. L'Express is, no, like, is, is an important weekly national newspaper in France. Uh, I'm going to come back to this example because it, uh, it is one of these newspapers that has been bought by a telecommunication tycoon, uh, Patrick Drahi. And you see, uh, at least on this picture, you, you cannot say that this is the way the newspaper is going to survive. Uh, because the size of the newsroom has just been divided by uh, half within a single uh, year. And again, you know, or you do think, which is not my opinion, and I think it won't be yours, uh, or you do think that uh, newspaper uh, journalists are useless for newspapers or for media outlets in general, or you have to believe that this cannot be without consequences, the quality of the information provided by this uh, media. Yeah. But what was the standard of the Express in uh, 1968, for instance? Was it, was it not a good newspaper in 1968? Because you mean that we are back to the number of journalists had... I'm just, just curious. It was a different kind of newspapers. First of all, they, they just had a print version, so they didn't have to give articles both for the print and online version. And I think this was easy in a sense in the 60s and 70s to make a newspaper than as of today because the world in a sense was kind of simpler. And we are in a more complex world as of today with more events happening. Uh, if I were to look at the number of scientists, uh, there are more scientists today than there were in the past. And in this more complex world, what we see is a decrease in the number of journalists and an increase in the number of people doing public, uh, public relations. Obviously, it depends. If, it's why also I, I show you kind of the long-term trends. If we were to think like back to the beginning of the 20th century, obviously the situation is much better today. And on average, the size of the newsroom is bigger, still bigger today than it was in the first half of the 20th century. But it does not mean that the situation today is worse than what it was for sure at the beginning of this century, of the 21st century. And I think it's like the quality of the newspapers in relative terms has decreased compared to, to what journalists were doing in the 60s, especially because they're kind of the same number of them, but they have to do much more things. They have to put information on the website, and they have to produce videos, and they have to produce pictures, which they don't really have to do in the, in the 60s. I spent a lot of time, and I'm going to, to try to, 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 to go quickly, uh, on this slide, in my research, especially in, in my PhD dissertation, on this link uh, between the number of journalists and the quality of the information that is, that is produced. But I think we, we really have to, to think about the specificity of the media industry as being an industry in which whether you sell one copy or one million copies, you need to pay the same price. If you want to produce the same quality newspaper, the cost will be the same, independently of the number of copies uh, you sell. This is not exactly true, because you need to pay for uh, paper and ink and for distribution. But basically, this will be true in uh, like a world in which all the information is going to be produced on the internet. 
Because in this world, all the variable costs are going to disappear. The only cost you need to pay for is the fixed cost, the size of the newsroom. And I think this is a very important specificity of the media industry, because this is not an industry like the car industry. You know, the car industry suffered a number of crises historically. But if you sell less car, yes, you are going to fire people working for you, but this is not going to impact the quality of the car. Basically, you are going to produce like the same quality car. But if you react this way for the media industry, you sell less newspapers, or you sell the same number of newspapers, but you see a decrease in the price of advertising revenues, so you are going to lose half of your revenues, and you react by decreasing the size of the newsroom, then this is going to affect the quality of the information you produce, and you enter into a vicious circle. Because you decrease the quality, so people won't be willing to pay for it, so you will have less revenues, so you decrease the quality, and you don't really see when you see when you find an end to this, uh, to this uh, cycle, uh, circle. On top of this decrease in the number of journalists, one thing I want to highlight is the increasing <coughs> casualization of the, of the journalistic uh, profession. Uh, there are a higher number of part-time jobs of uh, freelance journalism. Let me just show you a couple of numbers for France. So this is uh, the wage of uh, French journalists from 1980s as to today. Uh, in pink with the square, you have the average monthly gross salary of journalists. Uh, the red triangle, this is average national income per adult in France. Just to have a way to, 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 to see the evolution compared to the rest of the population. You see that journalists tend to make more money than the average population, even if this is the average population without taking into account uh, the level of education, but still, but that this gap is decreasing over time. And basically, in the 80s, the wage of the journalists on average was 1.7 times the average monthly wage of a French citizen. As of today, it's just 1.2. Okay, so in relative terms, you see this increasing casualization of uh, the journalism profession. On top of it, what is kind of striking is that the bottom journalist wage, it uh, lags behind. So this is the same plot as before. You have the average uh, salary, you have the national income. But on top of it, I add this uh, black curve with diamond, which is the bottom 10% salary, okay? So the 10% of the journalists with the lower uh, wage. And what you see, in fact, is that the gap between the bottom 10% salary and the national income in France, it's tend it's to, to increase. Okay, you have an increasing casualization of the wage in this profession, and on top of it, uh, the, let's say, like poorer journalists, they are even suffering uh, more. Uh, in a sense, what is kind of striking is that it goes again, the perception the general public has of the journalist uh, profession. And especially when you look at all the surveys in terms of do you trust the media? People they say no. Do you trust journalists? People they say no. And then when you ask why? People they tend to say because we think that journalists they are too close uh, to the more powerful and they are making too much money. You know, they are not close to our life as like a normal citizen. And in fact, if you look at this number, it's not true at all. So obviously, if you look at the top 10% salary of the journalists, the picture is kind of different. So again, you have the national income here, like the bottom 10%. So obviously, like the scale is uh, 
put them down. If you compare to the top 10% salary, you have some people that are making a lot of money out of journalism. But even this top 10%, you see a decrease in their salaries. So even at the top of the distribution, we see a casualization uh, of the of the journalist uh, of the journalist profession. Okay. I think what we see when we, we find this decrease in the number of journalists perfectly correlated with this decrease in advertising revenues and this increasing casualization of the profession is really the fact that uh, media outlets on average, what they aim at is at maximizing uh, profits. Okay? While my claim is that they ought not to be like other companies. Okay? In my sense, given that they produce a public good, their primary purpose should not be to maximize profits uh, and pay dividends to shareholders. The main issue is that the majority of the newspapers, this is not the case in France, but this is the case in the US, and in the sense, this is also the case in the UK. In the UK, the news agency, Reuters, that historically was a cooperative, now is a publicly traded company. And when you are a publicly traded company, which is also the case of the New York Times in the US, uh, USA Today, the Washington Post, etc. When you are a publicly traded company, you have fiduciary responsibility to your stockholders to maximize profits. And this may contradict with your moral responsibility to serve uh, the general welfare. Still, whether there is a crisis of journalism or a crisis of the media, we know that media, like media outlets, are suffering. Okay, and they are losing money as of today. So part of the problem is how... That's true that the title of the book is Saving the Media. I think my main feeling is that we need to save journalists, but... <laughs> so part of the solution for a lot of people is just to say, some tycoons will come and buy all the media. So like all tycoons, it was Citizen Kane. Like in the UK, you have one. Yeah. That is pretty famous, even if it is not from the UK. <laughs> yeah. I know, you but still. <laughs> there are a number of others. Uh, so is Jeff Bezos in the US, uh, the owner of Amazon that bought uh, Washington Post. These are two examples of friends, but basically these two guys, since 2010, they bought all the French newspapers and now they're even buying like television channels plus radio. Uh, and in a sense, you know, and I think that was also one of the departure points of my book, is that when I was keeping reading in newspaper that the golden age is back, money is back in the media. And so we should be optimist. Look at the numbers, the numbers are bad, but given that money is back, it means that something positive is going to happen. And if this guy, Jeff Bezos, is willing to buy the Washington Post for 250 million, or if Don Larry is willing to buy the Boston Globe for 70 million, you know, it, it just means that, in fact, the, the, the media industry is not suffering so much, okay? And the question is, is it a good news or is it a bad news? And in a sense, I think that to understand all the risks that are associated with this money coming from outside shoulder in the media industry, you need to think in terms of like money in politics. Okay? In a lot of countries, in a sense, to the exception of the US today, there are very strong legislations that tend to limit how much one guy can invest into politics. And the basic idea is really that we should define democracy as one person, one vote, 
and not as one dollar, one vote. So this is not because you are very rich that you can buy the democratic process by putting a lot of mini millions into the, uh, the elections. In the US, you know, all these legislations have been removed during the last decades. If, if you look at, at some numbers, these are from Howard Rosenthal and, and, and others in, in, uh, at New York University, this is striking. So here you have the, the income of the top 01% of the households in the, in the US. So you see they tends to have up to 5% of the total American income, which is not too bad for the top 01% uh, percent of the population. But they contribute for more than 40% to the total combined contribution. So more or less you see that like a couple of people, because these are like top 01, these are some hundred people, huh? this, this is not half of the population uh, by definition, uh, they tend to buy all the political process. And this is not without consequences on the way politics uh, are done. Let me skip on it uh, because I, 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 I am late. but. Basically, you know, there are different ways uh, actors uh, can use to influence public policy. This can be through political donations, what we just like so. This can be through like foundations or think tanks, or this can be through the financing of the, of, the, of the media. And in a sense, very often what you see is the same individuals using different tools. And Murdoch is very famous for that, not only on the number of media, but he was one of the main contributors for years of the Republican parties in the US. And he also put some money into the UK, uh, into the UK, uh, the UK politics. Uh, I think another big issue with these new shareholders is not only that they put a lot of money in the media and you can ask whether they do it because they like the media or because they want to increase their own influence. But a lot of them, and this is a case of Jeff Bezos that comes from the e-commerce sectors or Drahi Nian in front that come from the telecommunication sectors. They come from outside the media industry. And then it raises a number of issues in terms of uh, journalism independence and in particular the way journalists are willing to cover this industry in the newspapers. The, the main difference between Bezos and Murdoch is that, in a sense, Murdoch is, is a media tycoon. He makes his money out of the media, and when he puts money in the media, what he likes to do, he, he likes to do politics. And for Murdoch, it's much better to have a Republican president than a Democrat president. In a sense, Bezos is much more complicated. He, he doesn't really care about politics. He doesn't care about having a Republican or a Democrat president. What he cares about is regulation. What he cares about is no regulation, in fact. <laughs> and what he tried, what he, he tried to, to, what he aim at is to be powerful enough to convince either a Republican or a Democrat government not to regulate the e-commerce industry. And same thing in France with these tycoons from the telecommunication sectors. And in fact, this guy is clever enough not to show up in his newsroom every morning. And if you ask Washington Post journalists, you know, they, they, they are going to tell it to you. It doesn't show up every morning telling them you should talk about this topic, not talk about this topic. But more or less, since the time he bought the Washington Post, the coverage of Amazon just disappeared from the newspapers. And this is not censorship. This is more than that. This is self 
censorship. Because journalists, they don't know how to cover the topic. And they cannot really do it. They are not free to do it because their main shareholders make all these revenues from the e-commerce sector. And you have the same exact scene in, in, in France, in which it's very complicated as of today for journalists of Le Monde, for example, to talk about the telecommunication sector. And in fact, it's even worse for them because they are owned by Niel, so they cannot really talk about Niel. But they cannot really talk neither about Drahi, because if they do so, people think that they are doing so to please their owner that is competing with Drahi. Uh, let, me, let, let me jump to my solution. But in fact, my solution is the way to solve these two issues. I, I, I think that part of the problem is really this race for profits at the expense of the quality of information. And this is why non-profit, in a sense, could be part of the solution. And the other problem faced by the media industry is the fact that we have an increasing number of tycoons from outside the media sector that threaten uh, media independence. So we need to have a new approach uh, to media as foundation. So I'm going to, to jump on the different kind of uh, public support that already exists in the industry all over the, the, the world to turn to the non-profit sector. Uh, the the non-profit sector, in a sense, is already part of the media industry. First of all, it's part of the media industry through all the public uh, media, especially for TV and radio. So in France, we have like France Television. Uh, in the UK, there is the BBC, which I think this is the world model of uh, like a public uh, media sector, even if this government is not very happy with it. Uh, in the US, for example, it's not the case. In the US, it's completely underfunded, uh, the public media industry. Uh, and then we have a number of examples, and in the sense, the main one, historically, is The Guardian. But you also have some in Ireland, for example, of non-profit uh, newspapers that are high-quality, legacy uh, newspapers. I'm just going to tell you why I'm not going to argue that the foundation is the entire solution to the problem. And let me just give you one example. What would be the difference in terms of media independence, in terms of like uh, journalist freedom, between Jeff Bezos, what he did, buying directly the Washington Post, or Jeff Bezos setting up a foundation, the Bezos Foundation for Media, buying the Washington Post. If you look at the existing example of foundation, the way he would have done it, would have to set up a foundation, to set up the bylaws of the foundation, in such a way it would be at the head of the board, and it will have full control on the way the board work. So we will keep all the power, plus have some tax advantage, because it will be a foundation. So in a sense, we need to have a foundation in which we can limit the voting rights, the power, of the, of the, main, uh, the, the, main, the main donors. And this is what I propose in my book with the, this non-profit media organization which is really a new model intermediate in status between public companies and foundations that was really inspired uh, by the model of the great international uh, universities, uh, which combine commercial and non-commercial uh, activities. Okay. So there really are two goals. One goal is to secure financing for the media, because in the foundation, the capital is frozen. Okay. Once you give money to a media, you cannot sell the media afterwards. 
okay, you give your money, you cannot have your money back. So at least you froze the capital, so you secure the capital for the long term. And the second goal is to limit the decision-making power of the outside shareholders with constraining uh, bylaws. So in the non-profit media organization, you must invest any surplus revenue back into the organization, like in the non-profit company. Shareholders are not allowed to withdraw their capital and their tax-deductible contributions. Okay. But what is key is that the voting rights, they do not increase proportionally with the shares in the company. There are two incentives. There are the carrot and there are the stick. The carrot is really the tax uh, deductions. More or less, the tax deduction is two-thirds of your investment in capital, which is a huge incentive if you are interested in money. Like the, the fact that the capital is frozen and then you are not going to make any profit out of it, this is already the case with the media industry. Now when you buy the Washington Post, it's not to make a lot of profit out of it. It's better for you to, to, buy, another, to buy another kind of firms. So we know that you don't invest into the media industry for profit. For the moment, this is just money that you give away. In this case, the carrot is the fact that you are going to have two-thirds of your investment back through the tax deduction. The second incentives, this is why I, that's okay. I jumped a little bit uh, like quickly on the, all the existing government subsidies to the media. So as of today, in a number of countries, beginning with the UK, this is also the case in France, you have a number of press subsidies, direct government subsidies to the media or indirect government subsidies to the media. Indirect, but this is huge for the media. In the UK, the VAT for the media industry is 0%. Versus, I think the normal rate is 20 or 21. 20. You can use the stick. You can say, if you want to have kind of to keep your existing form of media organization in which you have also power, you don't want to give any voting rights, I'm going to develop to your readers or to the journalists, fine. But we don't consider that you are producing the public good, you are going to pay full VAT rate. And this thing, you know, it can hurt a little bit. So you can find some ways to convince media owners to adopt this kind of status. Now, I published this book one year ago in France, and I talk a lot like with these uh, big tycoons, like Niel. I talk to journalists and I talk to the government. I think it would be pretty hard to convince the government to use the stick. And in fact, the more we need the government to use the stick, the harder it will be to convince the government. Because they don't want to hurt powerful shareholders which is a big problem as of today if you want to regulate the media industry. Because a number of deputies, even ministers, are going to tell you this is too late. They are too strong and we don't want them you know, to talk poorly about us or to be like, against us during the next elections. But then there are other existing media outlets and especially there are the new media outlets that are emerging. And for one year I have been working in France with a number of journalists, like a number of new media organizations, to help them setting up their, their bylaws. These journalists that are creating like pure internet players with 10 journalists, what they want is to preserve their independence. They need to find money as of today. And what they are doing is to go and see shareholders and to more or less, the easy way to do it is to do it with two class of actions. Telling them, okay, you're going to invest in my media, but it will be with class B 
of uh, of actions with limiting voting rights and as a journalist I will have cla uh, class A. And this is the, the, the way we are writing the bylaws. This is without the help of the government, this is working. I think if the government on top of it in France, in the UK, in the US <coughs> was making it easy to have this non-profit status for media organization with tax advantage, especially if you limit the voting rights of the main shareholders and you increase the voting rights of the journalists and the citizens, it will be even easier. And I really think that it would be hard to change the legacy newspapers and the way they are owned, but you can create new media outlets from scratch with much more freedom. And just to give you one example, which is from France, I'd like to, on the plot, you know, if you take France, and you take one newspaper like Liberation. Liberation in 2015, more or less, they have 250 journalists. In 2012, until 2014, they had 118. As of today, 2016, they have 120. So this is Liberation. This is like that. And this is like, this was one big tycoon, and this is the second big tycoon. And these guys, so typically Drahi in France, like from the telecommunication sector, at least Niel, you can talk to Niel. You know, Drahi, you cannot talk to Drahi. So it's not even possible to convince him, you know, you, you need to think about the industry in a different way. So this is what is happening. This is the number of journalists. But if you look at the circulation, in the sense, I think this is even worse. You know, this is standing towards zero. Now you look at Mediapart which was creating pure internet player creating in France in 2007 by journalists with some outside shareholders but the, the, the majority of the capital shares they were owned either by journalists or by readers and they organized a number of crowdfunding campaigns when they were created in 2017 they had around 10 journalists as of today they have around like 80 and if you look at the trend in terms of number of readers this is what is going to happen So in a sense, my bet for the future and what I'm working at, and I think it will be easier if we add the help of the government with new tax and legal status, is to invest a lot in these new media like Mediapart or others. And to say, because they're producing independent journalism, I think this is what explains the fact that they are doing very well. And the fact that legacy newspapers are owned by these tycoons, what is also explains the fact that, in fact, citizens, they don't trust them and the saves are decreasing. So maybe we can change right now the media of the future. And yes, it will be much harder to convince, like, you know, these big tycoons uh, to change the way they own their media as of today. But. Have you, have you wrapped up yet? Or have you, 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 uh, you finished? No, I, let's say that I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Good <laughs>